According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. On this episode, we will talk about why we need to be in our own recovery and how we get there. I have a special friend joining us today as we discuss this. I want to welcome Miss Darcy Stevens. Darcy, can you share a little bit w- about yourself with our listeners? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my name is Darcy Stevens. My husband's name is Scott. We've been married for 22 years. We have four kids um, and my husband is a recovering alcoholic. He's been in recovery for three years um, and he was in his addiction for almost 10 and we navigated that and that's where we are today. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know what you have to share with us will resonate with our listeners today. And so today, Darcy, we're going to talk about why we, meaning you and I, um, need to be in our own recovery. So for me, and I'm sure a lot of those out there listening are thinking, I don't need in recovery. And I always thought, I'm not the one with the problem. I'm not the one tearing this family apart. I'm not the one pouring the booze down my throat. I'm not the one causing us financial hardship. I'm not the one with the destructive behavior. And so if you're out there listening, you might be thinking the exact same things. So then why do we need to be in recovery? And why do I need to do all this work? And I used to think, why did I need to give up my Tuesday evenings, find childcare for my our kids um, to be in recovery? Why did I need that? And I finally got to a place realizing I needed it. So Darcy, did you ever feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. I remember when Scott finally agreed to go to treatment and he walked out that door and I felt like I could finally take a deep breath. And when he left, I said, thank you, Lord, please fix him. And that's when Holy Spirit said, okay, let me work on him, but we have to work on you. And I was like, me, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like you said, I'm not the one pouring the booze down my throat. I'm not the one wreaking havoc on our family. But that's when God got a hold of me and showed me where the importance of my own recovery is so important in the areas that I needed to work on to help our marriage when he came back home from treatment. Because if I'm not in my recovery, his recovery isn't going to stick for sure. 
Absolutely. And so I thought we would dig a little bit deeper in thinking, because I think sometimes when people hear the word recovery, there's like a stigma around it, right? And so I always like to go back to the definition. What does it mean to be in recovery? And recovery means a return to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. And so I know by the time we get to this part and we realize our loved ones have a problem, that our own health, our own thoughts, and our own strength has deteriorated. And Mm -hmm. we forget who we are, and we don't even know our own needs or what we need, and we become resentful, resentful, and resentful. I personally was in, through my husband's addiction, survival mode. I wasn't eating. I Every thought I had was about how am I going to get my husband clean and sober Mm -hmm. and didn't know how I was going to continue living this day in and day out. Is this really what our lives are going to be like for the rest of our lives? We were in our early 30s and I couldn't imagine like, how is this going to be possible? Um, And and I would be thinking throughout the day, is he drinking? What is he doing? Um, How's he doing? Where's he hiding it? You know, all these thoughts were consumed by all these thoughts I were having um, were based around his addiction, focusing so much on him that I wasn't taking care of my Mm -hmm. own self, my own recovery. And that's where I keep saying, like, I knew something needed to change, but I didn't know what. I thought the change needed to be my husband. Mm -hmm. I thought my husband, if he would get sober and clean, things would be back to normal, right? Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize is that I needed help too. And I say it all the time. A lot of times, those who love someone in addiction are more sick Mm -hmm. than our loved ones, right? right? Like, I needed my own recovery. And I tell people all the time, I had to hit my own rock bottom. We talk Mm -hmm. about how drug addicts and alcoholics have to hit their rock bottom to get into recovery and to live a sober, clean Mm -hmm. life. But I feel like, as a loved one, I had to hit my rock bottom for things Mm -hmm. to change for myself. Did you ever feel that same way? Oh, yeah. Because my, like you said, my constant thoughts were on, What is he doing? Is he going to drink on the way home? Is he going to stop at a bar on the way home? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Where is it at? Where is it hiding Mm -hmm. in the house? Like I told my group, I felt like I was crazy, like (laughs) literally like losing my mind. The You probably were crazy. You didn't just feel like it. You were crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just remember one evening while Scott was away laying on the floor, like face down, like, what do I do? And God's like, we need to work on you. Mm -hmm. Like we need, like, where are you struggling? Where are you stay? What cycle are you staying in that it's causing the crazy cycle of addiction too? Yeah, absolutely. And we get into that cycle of trying everything to get them clean and sober Mm -hmm. that we, like I said, again, we say no to us and yes to them. We say no to our, maybe our children We say no to our siblings, no to our friends, because we pour everything Mm -hmm. into getting them clean and sober. And we're going, like you're saying, we're going crazy trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's crazy things of I'm digging in dumpsters, Mm -hmm. digging, looking, you know, all over the house and the crazy things, you know, you and I can look at it back at it and think, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. But when you're, if you're out there listening and you're in that We want you to know you're not alone in that and we get it. And that's why we want to talk to you so much about the importance of our own 
recovery. Mm-hmm. And so, um, why do you think we need to be on a path of recovery, Darcy? Well, my two of my biggest things that I have to work on constantly are control mm-hmm. and codependency. And me needing to be in control of everything when ultimately I'm not the person that's in control of it all, it's God. Um, I had to learn to release that every day. I have to surrender my husband daily to God because I can't be in control of the decisions that he makes. I can't be Holy Spirit for him. And when I'm trying to do that all the time, that's when that crazy cycle Mm -hmm. kicks back in. And so with me working my own recovery, I'm reminded daily that to give that control up or that codependency of having to fix everything. Um, I can only fix what I do, not what anybody else does. That's so good. I hope they heard you out there. You can only fix what you can do for yourself, not somebody else mm-hmm. that's out of our control. And so as we talk about recovery and we said recovery is getting back, getting back to that normal state of mind and truly being happy again, you know, and I heard it, I used to hear it. You can be happy whether your husband's drinking or not. And I was like, how, how can I be happy? So today we want to kind of talk with our viewers and you've already, um, mentioned it a little bit about um, how can we get back into that healthy recovery, a healthy, happy life, getting our mind, our thoughts, everything back. Um, And so I think ultimately the first thing we have to do is attend a support group, right? Attend a support group. And I say it all the time and you'll hear me say it on this podcast, maybe even every episode, but you don't get it unless you live it. Right. My best friend didn't get it. My sister didn't get it. My parents didn't get it. Um, my coworkers didn't get it because they were not living it day in and day out, right? And so once you walk into a support group like Finding Hope, these people get it. They understand the roller coaster rides, the sleepless nights, all of that. And so that is why it's so important to get in a support group. Mm-hmm. And another thing I love is that we can learn from one another. We can listen to what you're saying and be like, me too. And I want what she has. That's how I felt the first time I walked into a Finding Hope. There were people smiling and I wasn't smiling, but Mm -hmm. I wanted that smile. So I knew I needed to lean in and listen and learn from them. Um, What else have you learned through attending support groups like Finding Hope? Um, mainly that it's not my fault. Mm. Um, I also grew up as a daughter of an addict. And so, and then marrying somebody who um, went into addiction, I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm. And I learned going to Finding Hope meetings that I did nothing. Like that was was a disease that took over them, not me. And I did nothing to feed into that. And did I help it? (laughs) Most definitely. But it was not my not my fault. And, um, that's what I, that's my biggest thing that I point out at my group is it's not not, anything that they do, the decisions that your loved one makes, it's not your fault. Absolutely. And so within that support group, we can lean on one another and share those feelings that we're having Mm -hmm. when we think it is our fault, because we're in a safe place with people who get it. Right. So we can share that with one another, but we can also support and encourage them through that, just like you were talking about. And 
Um, Darcy, I remember the first time I called you mm-hmm. and I think actually it took us a couple times to connect and you, and I invited you to a finding hope mm-hmm. meeting. And honestly, I remember you saying, well, I got to take my son to work. I've got to do this and got to do that. And you have excuses if we can right. say that, right? right? Which are legit. You did need to take your son to work and all of this. But you finally, after six months, stepped into that meeting. What was those barriers keeping you from stepping into a meeting? What took? Why did it take you so long from that first time you and I talked to finally stepping into a meeting? Um, one was I was quote unquote busy, a busy. So it was like, well, can I fit it in here? Can I fit it in there? And um, needing to make time for it. And I just didn't want, didn't want to. So I just filled my calendar up with a bunch of other things. Also, I was going to a different support group where I thought I was getting what I needed, um, which was great for other reasons, but I thought I could get what I need from that. And I wasn't. And so I just kind of was not admitting that I needed to be there. Well, and I like what you said. You were filling up your calendar with other things. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, finding hope is non-negotiable. Like mm-hmm. we meet twice a month and we need to put that on our calendars first right. because we can't give back to others what others need if we're not filling our own cup first, right? right it's right. like um, there's a Finding Hope member that describes it from like the airplane, the oxygen mask. Mm-hmm. We have to put our our own oxygen mask first before we can even truly help others. Mm-hmm. And so put it on the calendars is what I tell people. Yeah. And if someone calls you and wants to go to dinner or you, someone else comes up, you tell them, no, you have other plans. Mm-hmm. You don't change your meeting times because of that. Right. And so that is one way that we can get into recovery is the first step I always tell people is go to a meeting, mm-hmm. get past that shame and guilt and take that first step because you will be greeted by people who understand right. what you're going through. And the next one you've kind of already talked about. I always tell people the next step in our recovery is to step out of that cycle of codependency. Mm-hmm. And the best way I have heard codependency described is we become addicted to our addicts. Mm-hmm. Let me say that one more time for our listeners. As a codependent, we become addicted to our addicts, meaning you said it really perfectly. We become addicted to fixing them mm-hmm. is we're going to do everything and anything to get them sober and clean. We're mm-hmm. going to fix it because we know better, right? Right. <laughs> we know better. And so kind of share with our listeners what are some of those things that you tried to do to fix your husband? And what did that look like and maybe feel like? So one thing was I tracked him on everything. So, um, you know, on cell phones and other devices, smart devices, you can track them. So I would mm-hmm. track him to see where he's going because, you know, he had been arrested a few times and I didn't want him to get arrested again. Yeah. So that's keeping him from getting the consequence that he needed to maybe hit his rock bottom. And uh-huh. so I would go rescue him. I would go pick him up if he had fell on, fallen asleep in his car. Um, another way is I would walk on eggshells mm-hmm. all the time, not wanting to talk to him about, you know, you drank, that's wrong. You need 
to stop, just kind of walk around it and like the elephant in the room, like yeah. it's there, everybody knows it's there, just not wanting to talk about it because you didn't want the big explosion. Um, and a lot of just trying to tell him what he needed to do and it wasn't my my place to tell him. He had to figure it out um, on his own. Yeah, trying to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. And so I, I'm going to list about 10 questions I want our listeners to think mm-hmm. about to figure out, am I codependency? Do I need to work on stepping out from that fixing mode? Am I addicted to my addict? Mm-hmm. And so the first one is, are you excessively helping him or her? Are you helping him or her? The second one is, are you neglecting your own needs do you even know what you need? So many times we put, we cancel doctor's appointments because our loved one needs us to take them somewhere. We, you know, we just stop going to our own counseling. We stop doing all this because we are there for them. Mm -hmm. We neglect ourselves. And sometimes we don't even know what we need. I talk to people on the phone and I ask them, what are you doing for yourself? What do you need? And I I mean, since I'm on the phone, I can just hear them like, I don't know with, I can tell they have tears going down their face. And so you also can be codependent. Are you taking on their problems as yours to fix? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we, you and I both have been there to try to fix it. Do you want their sobriety more than Mm -hmm. they want it? Let me say that again. Do you want their sobriety, their recovery, more than they want it Mm -hmm. because if we do they're not there we're just going to be constantly trying to fix it to push them in that direction and we can't they're not going to do it for themselves and that's where we see success is when they get in sobriety and recovery for themselves and not for someone else the next thing is are you trying to control the situation you talked about that trying to control Mm -hmm. absolutely been there done that are you obsessively focused on their addiction and how to get them sober? Mm-hmm. I remember nights I would just be on my phone or even on the computer, just Googling how, what can I do? How do I get him sober? And like I said earlier, I would think throughout the day, I was a school teacher and when I'd have a break, I would think, okay, where's Shane? What's he doing? Where's the drink? Where am I going to be able to find it tonight? Is he, right. how's he going to be? I, that's all my thoughts were, were on. Another one is, are you using up all your energy and time focusing on them and searching for the perfect cure? Mm -hmm. I feel like we've talked about that some. Mm -hmm. Are you always giving, giving, giving? Mm -hmm. And do you have a hard time saying no? My favorite sentence is N-O period, no to others. And sometimes we have to remember saying no gives us the opportunity to take care of our own Mm -hmm. needs. If we aren't saying no, we're not taking care of those, our own needs through that. And by saying no, we can start to have that recovery that we all need. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there listening and you answered yes to a majority of these, you're most likely in that cycle of codependency. And so you're probably thinking, well, how do I get out of it? You just have to think of what's that one thing today I can stop. Think about that and step out of that. Call, reach out to somebody who understands and we will support you and guide you through all of that. The next thing I talk about how to get into recovery, we talked about getting involved in a support group like Mm -hmm. Finding Hope, stopping, getting out of that cycle of codependency. 
The next one is the big E word. What is that, Darcy? Enabling. Enabling. That's my favorite one I hear. Every time I talk to people, I know I'm an enabler. Mm-hmm. And so enabling is doing for others what they can and need to do for themselves. So Darcy, talk to the listeners and tell them, why do you think people can admit to being an enabler, but they have a hard time stopping? Um, we admit that we're an enabler because we can see where we need to fix, where we need to change. Um, we don't want to change because we're afraid of how our loved one will react to the sudden change because they're used to us helping them all the time, getting them out of the situation, um, telling them, um, this or that. But when we change all of a sudden they could get upset but we ultimately need to be okay with that. Um, Putting those boundaries in place is so important, not only for them, but for ourselves. And I think that's big on how the enabling stops is whenever you learn to put those boundaries in place. And I like what you said, the comfort. You know, people ask, how do I get them to their rock bottom? Well, we have to take that comfort away, right? Mm -hmm. We have to take that pillow. We have to take that last little bit of cotton away. We can't keep catching them. Mm -hmm. We can't keep, you know, fixing them and trying to keep the peace. Sometimes I hear moms say, well, I'm an enabler. I'm trying to keep the peace between my addict and their siblings and all of that. Well, that wears us out Mm -hmm. and that is still catching and protecting them. And so I also have the question, well, what's the difference between enabling and helping? And listeners, we're going to get into this a little deeper in another episode uh, because I know this is a big topic, but I want you guys to listen. This is what the difference is. Enabling is hindering growth in a person. Let me say that again. Enabling is hindering growth in a person when we do not allow them to take responsibility for their own behaviors and consequences. Mm -hmm. We have to allow them to feel those consequences. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it just like when they were a kid, a lot of them act like kids, let's be real, right? Right. And so our kids would have, I have young kids and you have children, young children. Well, they have consequences to their behaviors, right? right? And, but why does that stop when they become adults? That's so good. You know, like, why do we stop that? No, there's still consequences. If I go out and leave the office today and I go 10 miles over the speed limit, I'm gonna have a consequence. I could get a ticket, right? Mm -hmm. There's a consequence for that. So enabling, again, is hindering the growth in a person when we do not allow them to take responsibility for their own behaviors and consequences. But helping is doing for others what they truly, truly, truly cannot do for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really think sometimes it's one of those where we just have to write it down. Can they do it for themselves or should they be able to do Mm -hmm. it for themselves? It's, oh, they don't have um, money to get gas. So I better get them some gas. Well, other adults have money to get gas. They should be able to do that. But Mm -hmm. because of them being stuck in their addiction, they're not able to. So we're rescuing them and saving them. Mm -hmm. That's enabling, not helping. Right. So do you have anything else to say about enabling or helping or what you have noticed? 
Um, so like a big thing with, um, Scott and I is even now, like we have kids and so Mm -hmm. we even are learning with our kids. Are we enabling them or are we helping them to learn? And even with like Scott, like he's still so young, technically young in Mm -hmm. his recovery and I have to let him learn the boundaries or the schedule that he had. I can't do it for him. And so when he needs to come up with the schedule and he's not hitting his meetings, I can't tell him I have to let him do it. And so, um, cause if he doesn't go to a meeting, he's the one that's going to get the consequence for it. I can't fix it for him. That's so good because he can't, we can't want it. It goes back to, we can't mm-hmm. want it more than him because if you're telling him, go to this meeting, go to this meeting, go to this meeting, he might be going, but not listening. Right. Or he could just sit in his car, mm-hmm. pretend to go. Right. Like, yeah. let's be real. Yeah. Um, so him creating it, doing it on his own. And that's scary. Sometimes oh, yeah. I get it too. Like there's sometimes I'm like, why didn't you go to your meeting? It's Wednesday night, you know, mm-hmm. like, but I can't, I just have to continue to use my own thing, my own recovery through that mm-hmm. calling friends like you or giving Shane back to God that night. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, you know, he's your child, right. you know, protect him, protect us, protect our marriage through yeah. that. So we've talked about finding a support group, Mm -hmm. the cycle of codependency, stopping enabling. And the last thing we're going to briefly talk about, and again, we'll go more in depth on this one, is setting firm boundaries. Mm -hmm. And boundaries is your boundary might be different than my boundary. Right. And I get that phone call all the time. Like, well, what should my boundary be? I can't make that decision for somebody. I can help talk them through it, Mm -hmm. but I can't make that because what it looks like for you is going to look like for different, different for me. And so, um, and it's all about protecting myself through Mm -hmm. it. Right. It's thinking of a fence, you know, I have a fence, I have a dog and I keep her in my fence. If I didn't have a fence, she would get out. Mm -hmm. Or if I, our fence wasn't there, had a hole, another dog could come in, our dog's little, and I don't want that, you know, who knows what Mm -hmm. a big dog could do. And so we have that boundary, that fence to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. And so that's what boundaries are, is to keep us safe, keep us sane, and not make us go crazy. Yes. And that's what I tell people. I don't know what you feel like, but a lot of times I tell people, you need a boundary when you get that weird, uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't feel right or you can't have peace about it, you need to set a boundary. Right. Um, And there's three different types of boundaries I talk about. And there's the non-existent boundary, right? Where Mm -hmm. there's no boundary that people can just walk all over you that they know they can get by with it. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one called damage boundaries. And so have you ever heard of that before damage boundaries? I think I've heard you mention it before, but not a whole lot about them. So damage boundaries are when we have holes in our boundaries. Mm, So like we say it, but then we might open it up a little Mm. bit, or we have boundaries with person, this person over here, but not this other person. And so we're not consistent. Right. Yeah. And it goes back to kids again, like having that consistency because our loved ones are going to use everything and anything against us. They will manipulate, they will push to make that damage boundary. They will see that little damage that might be just a tiny, small, but they will make it huge. So Mm -hmm. that's why it's important to have intact boundaries where there's no holes. It's Mm non-negotiable. Again, um, no holes in our boundaries. You say what you say, you you mean what you say, and you say what you mean, Right. right? Like you don't, you 
you have to follow through with it. And that's the hardest part. We can put up boundaries, but keeping them firm and following through with them. How have you experienced boundaries in your own recovery? So in Scott's recovery journey, he has relapsed. Mm -hmm. And one of my big boundaries is you're not allowed to be in our house. If you, I mean, we have four kids and in the middle of his addiction, they saw the worst Mm -hmm. of it and they're in their own recovery. And so for me to protect them and to protect um, myself, he's not allowed in there, in the house. And um, I've had to, you you know, um, enact that boundary. Mm -hmm. And even Scott says when he relapsed, he said that her, me sticking to that boundary was so important because he saw how serious I was in my own recovery that I'm going to stick to what I say. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's important for them to see that in their, whether they're in recovery or not, if you're wishy-washy in them, like you said, they're going to know where, um, they can come through in those boundaries. Absolutely. And I'd also encourage out there, you know, moms and dads, that they need to really talk together if they have a child in addiction. Mm -hmm. Because what I have seen is mom might have this boundary and dad might have a different boundary. And so our loved ones are going to figure out who to go to. Absolutely. Who to push. Like, who can I go to for this situation? Oh, I I know I should go to dad on this one. Oh, this time I'm going to go to mom because I know I can get through with mom. Mm -hmm. And so if you're out there and a couple listening and going through this with your son or daughter or grandchild, come together as a couple, Mm -hmm. come together, listen to these podcasts together and create these boundaries together because that is where you're going to see the most success. And I've seen marriages almost break up because of their child's addiction. And that doesn't need to happen. Right. And, um, you guys need to come together, have a stronger marriage, go to counseling together, go to the finding hope meetings together. I love seeing the men come into our meetings Mm -hmm. with their spouses. I've seen even like a mom and a stepdad come in together. And I think that is so powerful that they are a team. They're together in this. And so I just want to leave with a Bible verse to encourage everybody. It says, it's from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33, 6. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I like that word security. God is going to give us that security. He is going, he can get us back to right back to that recovery, to that mind, to get a healthy mindset back to health and healing. We just have to go to him and ask him. And that's might be what people need is just, Lord, I don't even know where I need to start. Mm -hmm. Ask him, right? Let's start by going to the father and asking him, where do I need to start? Mm -hmm. Because it can seem very overwhelming. And I tell people all the time, this is just one step, Darcy, right? right? It's not looking. So many times we look at the top of the staircase and we think, I have to be there. I need to be there. I need to be where Darcy is. Right. Darcy, you've been on this journey for a long time, right? right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you did it by taking one step at a time, getting that confidence, feeling good. Then we're going to take that next step. Mm -hmm. Maybe today I'm going to set that firm boundary. I'm going to do this boundary. I'm going to put it in place. Right. Okay. I feel confident. Now I'm going to take that next step. Okay. Today I'm going to stop giving my daughter money for gas. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can do it. I can do it. So it's taking that one step at a time. 
to get back to that normal state of health, mind, and strength. And so also, Darcy, I think so many people also think recovery is just for a short bit, right? Right. (laughs) And I used to think that. I was like, okay, once my husband gets sober and clean, I can stop going to meetings. But what I found is I've been attending meetings and been in part of support groups for seven years now. I'm still learning. Oh, yeah. I'm learning from you. I'm learning from our speakers. I'm learning from each other as we come together. Right. And so recovery is a life long process. Absolutely. And you talked about your husband relapsing and my husband had five years clean and sober and relapsed. Mm-hmm. You know, many people would think, oh, five years, they're good. Right. They're good, right? They're they're good. But honestly, I'm so grateful I didn't stop coming to Finding Hope or right. seeking support for myself because I was stronger and able to get through that yeah. relapse with my people. My oh, people yeah. are my Finding Hope people, yes. right? And so today, my challenge for you out guys out there listening, I like to leave with a challenge, is what do you need to do to return to that normal state of health, mind, and strength? What is that first step you need to take? Do you need to get plugged into a support group? Reach out to someone who's been in your shoes? Step out of that cycle of codependency and fixing? Stop that enabling behavior? Or maybe you need to set a new firm boundary. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to not just think it, but write it down. There's so much more that comes from thinking it to writing it down, looking it over, pray over it, asking God to give you the strength. And I want you to remember, you've got this. God's got this. And you deserve to get back to that healthy state of health, mind, and strength. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you listeners for joining me this week. You can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today. But before you go, I would love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, in this episode of Finding Hope. And remember... You are not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. This episode of the Finding Hope podcast was brought to you by Hope is Alive Ministries. To learn more about Hope is Alive, visit our website at hopeisalive.net. If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. To find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit findinghope.today.